Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome back to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about CEO slash executive peer study groups. And these are groups that are entities that have like-minded or ostensibly like-minded decision makers where they kind of have group therapy, study issues together, and learn from one another. And uh, you know, there are a number of, of groups that are all over the place, literally worldwide. And, you know, it's an interesting model because being CEO uh, of any organization is a very lonely place. And everybody expects you to have the answers, um, sometimes even unrealistically. And just like we kind of ask, who does the therapist talk to when they're feeling depressed? Who does the decision maker turn to when they need some help making important decisions, but they don't necessarily know who to turn to may not warrant it may be not warrant engaging a consultant or may require a different relationship than what a consultant could provide and um, you know, it's a big decision I know these groups help a lot of people and for other people it's not necessarily the right fit and joining us today to help us work through this is Mark Borelli uh, Mark Borelli arranges and chairs vistage peer advisory groups which have about 16 CEOs in them. They meet on a monthly basis to discuss issues and opportunities the members face to provide advice, challenge assumptions, prevent hubris, and then hold the members accountable for the commitments they have made. The members discuss all kinds of issues in these meetings, from profits to cash flow, strategic planning, acquisitions, and sales, and challenges with other owners. Not necessarily among the other owners, just challenges among, among the other owners. The members get the benefit of 15 other CEOs helping them who are not beholden to them for anything other than being helped themselves. Members come from a wide variety of industries, and the only rules are not, are, are not customers or suppliers. Vistage has 23,000 members worldwide and 17,000 in the United States. Mark has 30 years of strategy and investment banking experience. Mark is expertly positioned to offer a range of unique advisory services, and across, he's worked across Europe, Africa, and the United States, closing more than 100 transactions worth over $3 billion, and is perhaps best known for his fluency in the language of numbers. He is a current chair of the Technology Association of Georgia's Corporate Development Board, which basically means M&A, advocacy, and is a CFA charter holder. Mark is a sharp, sharp guy who is not afraid to tell you what he thinks and why, and that's why he's going to be a great interview today. Mark, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, you've done all this stuff. You do deals. Doing deals is a very intense, fast-paced, sort of all-out kind of profession. And then you decide to go and become an educator. Why? So, 
I think it's uh, cut a long story short. Way back when I started my own M and A firm, somebody from Vistage approached me and said, "Are you interested in joining a Vistage group?" And being a very conceited young forty-year-old, I turned around and said, "God, no! I know everything. I don't need you. I'm an M and A expert." Um, fast forward about actually, I was in my mid-thirties, and fast forward ten years, and I was in my mid-forties. I'd just gone through a divorce. I was in a child custody battle. My business was on the ropes. And another person came along and asked the same question, and I grabbed the lifeline with both hands before I drowned. So I think, yes, I think everybody gets it. And I was in a group for years, and then I decided to come and do this. And it's not really, I, I like your term, educate. I don't think it's an educate. And I think truly the groups you get into, the benefit, I always say, is challenging the assumptions and truly finding out what the underlying question is. It's not there to provide magic answers. It's not like we lift up the magic eight ball at every meeting and say, okay, this is what you have to do. But it's really asking questions and deep questions to find out what the real issue is and then getting the person to commit to do something and then holding them accountable. And that's what I love about it. I love seeing people succeed and grow. Um, I think the people who don't like it in a lot of cases are like I was in my mid-30s. They think they know it all. I always say to be a great Vistage member, you have to have experienced pain and suffered, and you realize you don't know it all and you need help every day. <laughs> so you need to be broken down before you're ready to join Vistage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned asking the right questions, and it calls to mind an Einstein quote that goes something like, like, finding solutions is easy. It's asking the right questions. That's the hard part, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think that's what's drawn me to you and our friendship over the years is that you do ask great questions and you don't take anything for granted. And even if, even if it's something that maybe we thought was true two years ago, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true today, right? No, and I think that's the hardest thing for business members, uh, business owners and CEOs and for myself is the world is changing so fast. You know, I'll give you an example. I recently gave every one of my Vistage members um, Tom Friedman's book, Thank You for Being Late which is about how much the world has changed and technology is changing everything. And the speed of change is affecting every area of our business. And, you know, whatever model got us to here, it's a great book, you know, what got you to here won't get you to there. And that's why we need others to challenge us and make us think, you know, and just digressing slightly, the common complaint I hear is, damn, these millennials, how do we work with them? And it's like, they're now the biggest sector of the working population. You got to figure this out. Right. You can complain about them, but if you don't figure out how to make them happy and keep them, you're going to lose, not them. Right. Really, they're, they're saying, damn, how are we going to work with these Gen Xers and late baby boomers, right? Exactly. That, that's really the conversation that's going on. We're going to be in a position where we've got we've to justify ourselves to them, and we probably seem clinically insane to many oh, of them. Oh, totally, yes. And, and maybe they're not wrong. No. Uh, you know, and I think it's very interesting for those of us, you know, you're, we're about the same age. We grew up in an environment where you joined a company, you paid your dues, you worked hard, nobody thanked you, and you just accepted that was the norm. And it was interesting. In a Vistage group, somebody posed the question, you have a, a you know, the most perfect employee sitting across from you that you're interviewing that you really want. And they look at you and say, why should I join your organization? And, you know, nobody could answer the question. I mean, they all said, because we're a great company. And the person who raised it said, so all the other companies say we're really bad companies? Come here and be abused? No, they all say they're great. So how do you sell this? And I think it's, that's the challenge that we have to deal with. And that's what I love about it. It's always new and it's always interesting and helping people try and just do it better. Um, 
I got to have some discipline because if I yes. take the conversation the way I want to, we'll be here three hours <laughs> later and they're going to cut us off. So I got to stay on topic. It's yeah. just so hard with you. Um, there's so many peer executive types of groups out there. Vistage is one. There are others. Sure. Some are just informal. Others are formalized. What do you think sets Vistage apart from those other groups, if anything? So I think if you look at all four groups, they all have some component of four things. They're either networking groups. They are social groups, their personal improvement groups, and their business improvement groups. As I tell people, Vistage is not a networking group. We don't encourage you doing business with each other. We're not a BNI group. We don't want that. We're not really a social group. Yeah, we do get together about four, you know, a couple of times a year, but it's not our key thing. YPO is probably the greatest and best social group. Um, we are a business improvement and a personal improvement. That's what we focus on. So I think when you're looking is what do you want out of the group? And then, of course, there are some groups that have specific categories like religious affiliations, which we don't have. You know, we're open. We believe the more diverse the members, the better input you get and the better results you get. But I think that's what you look at is what is it you want out of the group? Um, so what, what kinds of topics have you been covering in your group over the last – year. Can you talk about that or is it No, absolutely. Um, well, I won't give names away, so it's not confidential. So on some of the more simple things we've been talking about is getting lines of credit available and making sure you're well banked. So if a downturn comes, you can get through it financially. Um, how do we challenge clients who are not paying us on a timely basis and get our receivables down? Some people are looking for a COO to help them grow the business through the next stage which comes into things like technology systems, implementing ERP systems for advice on that. Um, a common one is my exit strategy. Your exit strategy might be you're the owner and you're going to exit at some point, or even more simply, I'm the key person in the private equity-owned group and I don't want to be sold with the company at the next sale. So how do I build my exit? Mm -hmm. um, some people, it's as simple as what does success mean for you and your organization? They haven't really thought that through. And then we get into some of the more personal ones, um, you know, and I'm not going to give names, but I've had people deal with issues like children with drug problems, abuse issues. So we cover a wide gamut of things. So that's interesting. So you, so your your discussions do bleed over into the personal oh, the totally. life part of the work life. Um, you know, I, I come from the assumption that we're here to help you with anything that affects your business. And as I tell people, having been through a divorce and now proudly wear the T-shirt, for a year, you're useless. Your mind is not focused. You're distracted. You cannot put the attention you need in. And if that's one of your issues, or you've got a dying parent or a child going through some trauma, you are heavily distracted, which affects your business. Now, we're not, a th we're not therapists. And I'm not going to claim we provide therapy, and we're not going to tell you, but we're going to try and give you coping mechanisms. So, for instance, one of my members is going through a serious litigation at the moment, very distracted by it, and it's just simple things like, the members reach out to him on a regular basis, see if they can help him. You know, remind him, are you meditating? Are you getting a break from it? Because if you don't do these things, it will consume you. And as one member said to him, look, don't worry about the litigation. Beat them at business. If you beat them at business, you've won. So, you know, it's just helping people come up from different perspectives. So y your group then must get pretty tight pretty quickly, I would imagine. Yes. Um, you def definitely see there are two types of people that come in the group. Those that get tight and they get together socially, and I encourage that because you're not going to care about other people and take care of them unless you know them. 
Um, and then there's some that never really get socially involved for whatever reason, and they tend to drift off. So, yes, I try and encourage my group. Uh, this is a personal thing. Every Vistage group is slightly different. Um, as of this year, we try and get together four times a year for dinners. Twice a year we have spouses. We do retreats. I'm going on a retreat with another group next week. I believe the more you're entire, entangled with each other, the more you care about each other, the more you're going to help each other. And that's what this is about. Okay. Now, obviously, although you're, you're providing a good, it is a commercial exercise. Absolutely. So if I'm thinking about you know, this sounds interesting, I might be able to, do, to make use of it. What, what do the economics look like? What do the costs look like? So basically, in my main Vistage groups, it's about 1600 a month to be a member. There's a 90-day termination clause, so you know it's not payable for a whole year up front. You just pay monthly. And then once a month, you have to host a meeting, which means you have to provide all the food and the facilities. Now, we also do retreats and dinners where everybody pays their share. So you know, if I'm looking at all those numbers, you're just over 20 grand a year. Uh, a lot of people look at me and say, oh, my God, I could never afford that. You know, being a business person, an investment banker, my mind automatically goes to numbers, as you mentioned. So I look at it and I say, well, what's the ROI on it? And if you're the CEO of a business, what's your average decision? Now, hopefully you're not just deciding on paperclips, but if you're deciding on hiring senior people or new markets to enter, your average decision's got to be over 100 grand a year. And if the group helps you make one good decision a year, the ROI is 500%. So, you know, where, where can you go wrong with this? Now, some people say, well, the group didn't help me with their decisions. And I was like, well, you didn't bring a good question to the group. Or if you just want them to pat you on the back, that's not using them effectively. But yes, so I think there is cost, as you said, but there should be a return on it. So, and how many groups do you have? I have two CEO groups. Uh, my one group is from a million to about eight million in revenue. My other group's eight million to fifty million in revenue, and I've split them because the bigger companies just have more employees and a different type of issue. And then I have a third group, which is less expensive, but it's not for CEOs; it's for senior executives within organizations that are coming up. Okay, and so that, that, that's a peer group to sort of help them from a career counseling standpoint. Correct. Yes. Okay. So. Um, are, do, do you have a chance to meet other are, – are, is your official title a facilitator? Are you a group leader? Are you – I'm called the chair. The Ayatollah? <laughs> I am called the chair okay. of the group. Um, and I guess if you wanted to say anything, I'm a facilitator. Okay. So as the, the, the chair slash facilitator uh, of, of the group, um, do you have a chance to meet other chair facilitators? And, and if so, how much do you differ or do you tend to have a very kind of consistent profile? No, I think we're all very different. And I meet, uh, at least I meet within the Vistage community. All the chairs get together once a month to discuss best practices and different things. I think we're all different. We all bring different skill sets because of our background to the table. You know, I bring a financial background. Other people ran HR companies, so they bring an HR background. We're all different. Um, I think we're, having spoken to people who were in other organizations which didn't have a, quote, facilitator or somebody in charge, and they took turns, they have said to me that they didn't find the issues were run as well because nobody's trained to do it. Uh, you know, my job is not to jump in and tell everybody the answer. My job is just to keep the conversation, draw people out, and make sure everybody gets, you know, I heard the cats. So, and so do you find then that you tend to draw people that – already have an affinity for numbers, data analytics, finance, or is it the opposite? Do you tend to draw people that know that that's a weakness of theirs and they're hoping that you're going to plug that or somehow fill that, 
that gap. You know, I wish I could say it was one or the other, but it doesn't seem to be either. Okay. I, I have people who are very numerate, and I have people who have no clue, and I'm trying to educate those that don't. But again, it comes back to what do you really want to learn? And, you know, often I tell people, look, as a CEO, it's not so much what you have to learn on the finance side. It's actually just knowing the numbers you need to look at to make sure your business is operating. So I encourage all the CEOs that I work with to get custom dashboards built for them that at one glance they can tell what's going on in their business. They should get them every week or less depending on, I mean, more often than that, depending on what their business is. But they should not be delving into QuickBooks or whatever the counting package they have, spending hours looking at reports. That's probably got to be music to many of their ears. <laughs> it is, but, you know, they can't resist. Yeah. They get sucked into that QuickBook. And I see them all playing with reports. I'm like, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not good return on your time. problem with so many business owners are very heavily, they're type A detail-oriented people. Yes. And I guess sometimes you have to tell them, like, what are you doing this for, <laughs> right? Right. Um, now, what about like personality of the facilitator. Would you say there are different personalities? Maybe some are what we would call sort of an American football coach and others are more kind of nurturing or is um, there a spectrum of personalities of chair facilitators? I, I, that's an interesting question. I, I think there, there's a variety and some chairs have been coaches and some chairs are maybe more touchy feeling. But I think at the end of the day, what we, we're encouraged to do through Vistage and I think really works is we're what we call carefrontational. We care about you. We want you to succeed, but we're not going to let you off the hook. We're going to hold your feet to the fire. You said you were going to do this. Why haven't you done it? You know, and as I always tell people, in Vistage, there's no public flogging, but humiliation on your, in front of your peers on a regular basis is really, dis, you know, it'll destroy you. So you've got to stand up. And it's very hard to turn around to a group of people who are also CEOs and say, well, I didn't do it because I'm busy. And you just get these looks like, really? Right. Okay, tell me about it. <laughs> but, you know, we're recording this right before, uh, right before um, April 15th, and <laughs> I don't ever use the phrase, I am busy, inside of my firm. I'll simply be thrown out of our third floor window. Right. Um, what, what kind of time commitment is required? Now, we talked about the cost, right? So I guess you have, you have monthly meetings. Is that right? Correct. So I, our group meets once a month as a group. And then I meet with every member for an hour to an hour and a half during the month. Um, what I tell my members is, look, there are 12 meetings a year. I expect you to make nine. People have business trips, family tr events. You know, you get sick, client unexpected issues arise. Make nine. But your time commitment is, I think, the most interesting question because speaking to those that I think are really engaged and want to get the most out of it and those that do get the most out of it actually invest the time preparing for the meeting. So they think about the issue they want to bring. They think about all the information they need to present to the group. And so when they come in, they're prepared. And they think about if there's a speaker, what do I want to learn from it? So they do a lot of upfront preparation, and then afterwards they spend time implementing it. Those that don't get much out of it, don't spend any preparation, walk into the meeting, haven't thought about anything except they're just walking in. They don't really have a good issue. They sure as heck can't give you any information about it, and they don't really pay attention after it. Um, and, you know, again, I heard the cats, I can't make them. But I always say to them, look, you've spent money on this. If you're meeting with your lawyer or uh, your accountant, would you just walk into the room with no papers, no backup, and sit there and know that they're charging you by the hour to sit there and say nothing? And they say no. And I said, well, why don't you do that? This is your board. These are your advisors. They're here to help you. If you invest the time, you will get a greater return. So I think people should. 
and and probably the people that don't prepare that that's probably a symptom of something else. Absolutely. Right. Ch- chances are that's not the only thing in their business life for which they are routinely systematically unprepared. I would say that's true. And I but I would say, you know, there is a culture especially in the US, but it's infecting the rest of the world is if we're busy, we believe we're successful. And I'm really fighting that culture to say I think that's right. I think Busy is not a sign of success. Success is thinking, if you're the leader, you don't need to be busy. You need to be thinking. You need busy people under you, but you need to be thinking about where this ship's going and how you're going to get it there. And getting caught up in the daily minutia is not helping. You know, I try and encourage members, the best thing you can do is take two weeks off at a time and go let your brain regenerate. You know, that's a very interesting point. And I, I, I have to admit, I fall into that trap, that I think that being busy is ipso facto good. And it isn't necessarily. Um, and I think it just comes from sort of this, this puritanical streak that we have as Americans, that, that you know, idle hands of the devil's playground, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but you're right. Being able to sort of take a, a step back and just, it, it's amazing what your mind can do if you force it to do nothing. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Well, I think on that, I'm going to throw two things out that I tell my members, and some do and some don't, is you should have an automatic reply in your email that says, I've received your email. I will revert to you within 48 hours. Huh. Because all people want to know is, did you get the email? That's the main thing. Yep. And if you give yourself two days to think about it, you will probably come to a better solution than if you just shoot something off on the spur of the moment without giving it true deep thought. Um, you know, and then the second thing I say to them is when you go on holiday, put an out of office email, which doesn't just say I'm out of office, but says I'll be a gone for these dates to this date. I'll check email once a day, but I'm not checking this address. Please email me at this new address. And the new address is I'm terribly sorry to interrupt your personal family vacation at whatever URL you use. Nobody will ever send you an email to that address. And we just copy people. We send this stuff out and we all become slaves and jump to it. And I think it's a waste of our mental energy and our physical energy. Yeah, you know, that that's a great point. Is that something I've I've learned, and that you know, one of the, the few benefits of getting gray hair and two two arthritic ankles is a little bit of wisdom and realizing you don't have to respond to every email as it comes in, right? right. And I can't tell you how many times I felt like I had a much better response by just stepping away, sleeping on it. And often just saying, look, I got it. That is what most people want. What annoys people, if you don't respond and don't even acknowledge that you got it, but if you acknowledge that you received the email, the person that sent it then knows you're in the queue. You're at least important enough to respond in that way, Mm -hmm. right? And then they know they're not being ignored. And being ignored really pisses people off when you get right down to it. Exactly. But as you said, rushed answers are bad. You know, and one last point on this is I try and say to people, look, when you finish a meeting, don't rush into the next meeting. Can you set yourself 30 minutes just to reflect on what truly happened and what's really important, what you need to do? Because we rush, I, and I'm guilty of this, I rush all day from meeting to meeting, and I get to the end of the day, and I've forgotten what I promised at the first meeting. And it's something I'm working on to try and be more effective with my time. Not, not to mention the emotional tenor <clears throat> from meeting to meeting may be entirely different, right? Right. If you go from a dispute mediation into a sales meeting... <laughs> Right. Can you imagine? Yeah. You can't handle the – oh, sorry. You just wanted a proposal? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Having that time to sort of kind of reset and center, you know, that, that is part of time management is giving yourself that space yep. to then kind of reset because in, in a different meeting, you have to play a different role. 
right? Correct. Um, so are there sorts of personalities that tend to do well in peer groups or ones that don't do well in peer groups? I guess know-it-allism isn't great. Um, I would say the ones that don't do well are know-it-alls and people who don't care about others. You have to go in saying, look, I'm going to get stuff out of this, but what I really want to do is help everybody else. And if you go in there with either I'm superior to everybody else, I know more than everybody else, and I don't really care about these people, you're not going to work out. Um, if you go in there saying, I can learn from everybody, you know, we have a guy in my group, um, and those who know him would recognize him from his description, has the worst ADHD of anybody I've ever met. But has more interesting ideas than any human I've ever met. Has got more patents in process. And the more you get to know this character, the more amazing he is. But a lot of people wrote him off in the beginning because he's all over the place and he's not focused. And you think, how does this guy get by? But then as you get to know him and you peel back the onion, you're like, this is truly an amazing person. And so I think there are those that come in saying, you know, I've built my business to X and I don't need to talk to anybody else because I've done it and I'm so great. And I think it's those that have realized that they're great people in many different guises, and they can all add something. Who will truly benefit from it? Now, what, what does it take when you, uh, presumably you prepare extensively for one of these meetings? Mm-hmm. What does your preparation routine look like? So, you know, it depends on the meeting. Um, what I try and do is when I meet with my members one-on-one is to find out what issues are going on in their life. So... If I find an issue, I'll say, you should bring this issue to the group. And here's a form. This is what you need to write down. Try and bring all this information to the group. Um, You know, I'll think of exercises to do with them. So to give you an example of one I'm doing right now, and a number of Vistage chairs are doing it, and I'll go back to the beginning, was Vistage has an event once a year for all the chairs, and Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, was there, and he spoke about Good to Great and the 12 questions for leadership, and we thought, this is great. So I'm sitting down with all my group going through each of the questions. So we start out with, you know, the flywheel. What is your flywheel? Define it, how your flywheel works. You know, how do you confront the brutal facts? How do you know you have the right people regardless of where on the bus they are? And then you put them in. So, you know, thinking through these things, sending them out, links to documents, YouTube videos on this stuff, and then saying, okay, this is what we're going to discuss. And carving aside, and everybody presents it. And then we challenge each other. And, you know, I always say you're open to challenge. So, yeah, things like that. Are, are there particular industries that you think peer, CEO peer groups tend to serve better than others, or can, can it be adapted to any industry, whether it's <clears throat> high-tech, e-commerce, or janitorial services? I think it can be adapted to any industry. Um, the only place I think it has a bit of a problem, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, because there are people in groups from these companies, but I, I think a large professional partnerships are sometimes more difficult because nobody, even the managing partner, as a managing partner of an accounting firm once said to me, we have all the responsibility and no authority. Um, so they find it hard. But I, you know, I, I have a lawyer in one of my groups, and he said to me, why should I join? I'm a lawyer. You know, I don't know about selling, marketing. I said, well, you should. I mean, today we all have to sell, we have to market, we have to collect. So, Yes, your expertise may be in another area, but you still got to do all these business functions to get ahead and build your model and think of a different way of doing business. So I think everybody can benefit if you go in with an open mind. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that advice of having to sell. I mean, you know, I, I've long learned uh, there are people in my industry and in, in finance that are sufficiently technical. They can just be the technical nerd in the corner and thrive. 
I ain't that smart. Right. <laughs> so I have to develop other skills as a, as a survival, as a survival um, uh, path. All right. So how long does a meeting last? It's an all-day meeting. All-day meeting. So what, what, what happens? Go, kind of go through the order of battle in a, a given meeting. So eight times a year we have a speaker. So the speaker will come in in the morning. They will talk for about three, three and a half hours on a subject matter area of expertise to them. And then – and if we don't have a speaker, we'll think of either we'll do what I'm going to describe next for the rest of the meeting or I may present a topic of discussion. Um, so aside from the speaker, what we'll usually do, we have what we call our check-in. Everybody goes around, says what's happened since the last meeting personally and privately in their lives, what's good, what's bad. Um, then we have a host of the meeting who I mentioned is responsible for They get an hour to present their business, their issues, and tell us about what they're thinking, what are their three-year plans, what's the business plan, what's their exit, what challenges they're facing. And that's usually an in-depth discussion. And then the rest of the meeting really is everybody writes up issues or opportunities they're facing. And we sit down and we go through our process of asking probing questions. When we've got no more questions, we then go around and ask everybody what they would recommend they would do if they were the person with the issue. When everybody's told them what they would do, and during this time they're not allowed to say anything, they just listen, uh, we basically turn around to them and say, so what are you going to do? And they can say, I liked what John said, or I like what Mary said, or, or I think you're all a bunch of idiots and I'm going to do something else. And we don't really care. But we say, okay, so you're going to do X, and when are you going to do it by? And when you come to the meeting next month, did you do it? And if you didn't do it, then we'll say, well, do you want somebody in the group to be a wingman and remind you and lead you through it? And if you repeatedly don't do it, then there's an issue that you haven't really gone into. Right, there's a deeper issue, I guess. Exactly. So, so you have a buddy system, almost like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Oh, totally. You know, there's a joke in Vistage. We're a AA for CEOs. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, they need somebody. And the thing I found, and I, I speak for myself as knowing this, my own behavior, is when we're stressed, we revert back to what we like to do because it's comfortable. And CEOs, like everybody else, get stressed. They've got big decisions, and they don't know what to do with them, so they revert back into their comfort zone. So I have one member who's very stressed with things going on. And I spoke to him the day, and I'm like, well, what have you been doing? And he's like, I was rebuilding our website. And I'm like, why are you rebuilding a website? You should not be rebuilding a website. This is not your time. But that's where he's comfortable. And so he's reverting back. And I think where the group is there is to help pull you out and focus on it. Are, are, there, kind of, are there certain kinds of questions or challenges that you found a group like this is not particularly ad- adept at addressing? Um. I would say the hardest thing with a bunch of CEOs, and this is reflective, again, of being CEOs, is you have to train them to go through the probing questions. They're all ready to jump in and tell you the answer. And it's only through the questions we truly find the issue and think about what it is. So the hardest thing when the group starts, and even you've got to keep reminding them is, guys, this is not the time for solutions. We're working on questions. Wait. Think about it. And, you know, it's that old adage that we all fall victim to. Um, when you ask a question, actually listen to the answer. Don't prepare your next question. It sounds like that, that, that age-old Mars-Venus thing, right? Yeah, you, you want to try to solve the problem, but in fact, until you've asked enough questions, you don't really know what the problem is. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So that in itself, I'll bet, some of your, peer me- some of your, your members may struggle with initially, and that is a skill that they develop. Yes. Right? Because that, that's if they carry that into their business life, 
that means they can then seek better and more input in a more honest and vulnerable way from their other resources, could be their subordinates, their other officers' board, and can be more effective in that way too, right? So there's sort of a sneaky little personality business skill that gets inculcated there. Yeah, and hopefully some of them do. Um, but, you know, there's still a bunch who, I'm the boss. You know, I, it reminds me of the classic scene we were talking about age things. There's the Italian job movie with Michael Caine. The original version came out in the 60s. And there's a great line. And he says, this job requires team effort, which means you'll all do exactly what I say. <laughs> and it's breaking that and making them hear. And, you know, the thing I found with CEOs, and I'm making a huge generalization, but most of them have one of two skills or both. They either invent something or they're great salesmen. Or they're great salesmen and they invented it, which means they know their products and they know their best customers. They have no idea what's happening in the finances. HR is a mess. Legal doesn't exist. I'm trying to arrange them to be slightly broad and understand these other parts, especially the HR side. Uh, it's the most common areas, motivating people, retaining people, culture. You know, I heard a great line the other day, you know, is your onboarding process more akin to waterboarding? And I just, <laughs> I love that because I think, you know, we hire people, we don't do anything, then we wonder why they leave. Right. And, you know, it's this new environment. We talk about millennials. How but we you put you through our process. What's right. your problem? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got waterboarded, but, I mean, it's in a sunny area, tropical, you know, tropical weather, <laughs> beachfront property you can see. Right. Right. So um, you, you mentioned that one of your groups is uh, $1 to $8 million in revenue, yeah. and the other is 8 and above, basically. Yeah. Um, I infer from that then, do you, do you need to have a company with a million bucks of revenue to be involved in a Vistage group, or is that just sort, sort of where you've carved out your no, delineations? You don't need to be a million bucks and above, but I do find the companies under a million bucks find the, the financial commitment and the time commitment very hard. Now, the companies that do come in under a million bucks are usually professional groups like lawyers, accountants, maybe some engineers, architects, but because they're, they're more and I'm not knocking, saying the others aren't professional, but they have that structure and they have a lot of systems in place. But under a million bucks, you know, even my, my group that's a million to eight, what I co refer them to is my entrepreneurial group, or entrepreneurial management group. And what I mean is all spokes feed into the center. And then my larger group has more of a professional management where they have various functions under them and the CEO is truly being a CEO. And those where the CEO has everybody feed into them, they're very distracted. They're very hard to focus. And again, companies under a million, the CEO is just getting yanked. And every, so they don't show up for most of the meetings. They're always nervous about the numbers. They'll sell anything and promise anything. I mean, they're the people who need it the most, but most can't commit to it. Probably, probably because they're so and probably necessarily involved in the tactical Correct. that they just don't have the bandwidth to address the strategic. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't you, you don't think about you don't think about how am I going to put in a new sprinkler system when there's a four alarm fire right in front of you? I guess right. So um, let's say there's a listener now that that is listening to this. Thing. You know, I I've never really thought about this, but I think I'd like to learn more. Um, is is there a, a system or a path where somebody can? perform due diligence on a peer group before making that commitment? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing that that sells itself well, kind of shrink-wrapped and off the shelf, right? It sounds like it's got to be the right fit. So how can, a, how can a business owner figure out if a group is right for them without sort of making the, the big upfront commitment? Well, I think, A, first of all, every group is different. Um, so there's no standard. But 
What I, what I do with my potential members, if I meet somebody that's interested, I'll say, okay, there's a number. First of all, I meet with them, learn about their business, tell them a bit about Vistage. At the end of that meeting, if I think they'd be a good member, then I say, okay, we need another meeting. Uh, you cannot sign up today. I'm not selling you anything. I then go back, and we have a much longer meeting, probe more deeply, and there are questions I want to find out about their caring side, how much they're willing to try new things. As I always ask them, you know, when was the last time you did something new for the first time? If you're not learning and pushing yourself, you're probably not a good fit. If they get through that meeting, then I say to them, look, I'm interested. I think you'd be a good member. Now you have to come and meet the group. They get, while they're not the final authority, they have a huge input into whether or not you come into this group. And because you have to fit with them and, A, they have to like you, but, B, you also have to like them. So I usually get them to come to a meeting and they sit through a meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I'm like, okay, you can wait, and I'll ask the group whether they want you, and then if they say you're in and you decide you want in, then you're in. And if you're not, go away and enjoy your life. Okay. And I usually find it helpful, too, if they come to a meeting, to have them present an issue. You know, I'm like, really come with an issue. Present it. And get feedback and learn things. Okay. Now, there are probably people out there that have maybe tried a peer group like this in some fashion for whatever reason, didn't work out. Maybe they weren't emotionally ready to handle it. Maybe the company wasn't mature enough, whatever. Or just, you know, life happens. Um, is, is it possibly worth them, you know, circling back and revisiting the issue? Maybe the second time around will be different? I think so. You know, I think the best way I can describe it is groups like ours are necessary but not urgent. And so people put them off or say, well, I didn't have the time. I think if you put the time in and the effort, you will find the reward huge. And it's kind of like having a gym membership. you got to go. And you got to work hard to make it worthwhile. Otherwise, it's not. Um, what happens is people sign up, but they're passive members, and they don't get anything out of it. So if you truly want to be a leader, you know, there are competitors out there all the time. Everybody's challenging your business. If you want to stay ahead of the crowd, a group like this will help you. But you've got to put in the effort and the time. Is there any kind of success story that comes to mind, someone that's been in one of your Vistage groups, and they're just a great example of somebody that's, that's been helped in a, you know, a, a clear, fantastic way? Uh, there are quite a few. I think, you know, I look at one gentleman who's in my Vistage group. He was in a different type of peer group, but he came to Vistage because he wanted a strict facilitator. He said, we used to meet, but it had no direction. And, you know, he's basically got to the point, he says, in seven years, I don't want to work anymore. That doesn't mean I've sold my business. It just means I don't want to work. And I'm putting in place all the steps. So we met recently, you know, he's got a COO, he's got a CFO, he's putting on an ERP system, his business is growing 30% a year. And, you know, his goal is that in seven years, he will not work, but the money will keep coming in. To me, that is a great success story. You know, there's another guy I know who wasn't in one of my groups, but a Vistage member. And he brought in a president, and he said to me, you know, I have a house out in the country. I'm in my house, country house, Monday through Thursday. I come into Atlanta on Fridays, meet with the president of my company, figure out what the issues are that we need to discuss, if any. And then I spend the weekend socializing with my wife and friends. And on Monday morning, I go back to the country and do the stuff I like on my farm. And he said, I make more money now than I ever made before. He sold to a private equity group recently and did incredibly well. So I think, yes, I, you know, I think there's definitely help there. And people have had great things. There are other people in my group who tell you they've got more out of this and it's saved them more and helped them more than they can ever imagine. 
Well, very good. I think um, you've made a very compelling case for why one would consider joining a group like this. How can people contact you to learn more about this? You know, the easiest is to reach out to me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at markborelli.com, which I know is a lot. Um, two R's, two L's. Correct. I have to remind myself of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, or you just go to markborelli.com, and there's information on how to set up a meeting with me. I'd love to meet anybody. You know, if you don't feel it's not a fit after we've talked, that's perfectly okay. I only want people who are willing to come in and work hard. Okay, well, very good. Mark, thanks for joining us. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Mark Borelli so much for joining us and sharing his experience with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsors, Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.